It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April 30th, 2015. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. And it's I'm just going to be with you tonight. The first time in a couple of weeks we haven't had a guest joining us. Yeah, we've had some people setting in, which is always Good. Well, we are not alone. We've got Dan running the board today. Dan's running the board, Dan. Thank you for being here tonight. Look forward to hearing from you, too, Dan. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And sign in the chat room to the bottom of the video window if you are watching us live tonight, as several are signing in there. And we'll look forward to comments there as well. Yeah, we've got some emails, uh, but we also are looking for more emails, especially looking for comments in the chat room. We'll try to include those because we're going to be dealing with a number of questions tonight, Jacob. Yes. Uh, this is one of our smorgasbord programs in which we pick up a bunch of questions that have been sent in. And uh, if you are on our update list, you've got these questions that we're going to be discussing tonight. I actually got the update out rather early today. You did. I was surprised. Yeah, 9.30, I, right around 9.30 this I saw morning. that email coming out. Is that the update email? Yeah. I had to take a double take. Yeah. Uh, and so you've had some time to work on it. I think we've got, what, uh, six questions, and we're going to have to hurry to get through them all. Um, one of them, or, or the first set of questions, actually four questions, are follow-up questions that came to us from... Mohan, who was the independent Baptist that we interviewed two weeks ago, yes. and he said he had some follow-up questions he wanted to ask us, and we said, sure, send them. We'll try to answer them. So we're going to try to answer those tonight. If you haven't listened to that program with Mohan from Chicago, go back in our archives or check our podcast feed uh, from two weeks ago today, which would have made it, what, the 16th? Yeah, and it's and, called Interview with an Independent Baptist. And uh, so you check that out. Uh, you'll want to listen to that. We'll take his questions here. These are along the line of baptism. We've got an interview scheduled for two weeks from tonight for, with another individual about baptism. Uh, so you want to check on that and two weeks from today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that would be uh, May 14th, I believe, if my math is correct. That should be right. Yeah, yes, that's May right. 14th. That's right. yeah, so that's check right. that out. 2015, you want to listen to that uh, interview. We're looking forward to that. All right, so uh, if you're not on our update list, we always tell you get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just put add me to the list there, and, and you'll get these updates every Thursday telling you about our topics for discussion. So we sent these out earlier today, and the first four come from Mohan, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago. We're not going to read them all. We'll just take them one at a time. And yep. If you've got comments, probably the fastest way to get them to us is send them in the chat room, and we'll try to include those. So these are from Mohan for four on baptism. We've got one from Bob about the Song of Solomon. I don't know that we've ever talked about the Song know, of I've Solomon heard on this, this question before. On the program. In my life, I've never had never this had. question. Okay, and then we've got one from KB on the Lord's Supper, uh, specifically Acts 20, verse 7. How do we know that is the Lord's Supper in discussion there? So we'll get to those questions, hopefully. 
after we uh, examine Mohan's questions. All right. So let's start out. Uh, have we covered all of our housekeeping we, items? Well, the house have? is clean. Okay. All right. So let's start in. The first question Mohan asks is, if John 3, verse 5, now I think everybody remembers John 3, verse 5, is where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Yep. And the famous expression there, the famous phrase that Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Yep. Uh, if, if you back up to verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yeah. So you have to be born again. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. We believe those are references to baptism. Yes. That baptism is in the process of being born again. And that the water there of verse 5 is specifically the water of baptism. Now, but Mohan's question is well thought out, and I think it's the first time I've heard the question. All right, so this statement that Jesus made obviously comes while he was alive and before he was on the cross, before he spoke to the thief on the cross. And so Mohan's question is, how could the thief be exempt from the requirement of baptism if that's, in fact, what John 3, verse 5 is commanding? So Jesus is teaching in John 3, verse 5, according to us, that you've got to be baptized in water in order to enter the kingdom of God. Yet we have the thief on the cross. Who <laughs> Jesus said his sins were forgiven and he would be uh, with him today in paradise. All right. Well, we understand that Jesus was teaching principles of the kingdom okay. all during the time he was uh, on earth. In fact, uh, Luke 16, 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. So since the time of John the Baptist, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God had been preached, but they had not gone into effect yet. That's along the lines of what James uh, said in his email. James Buchanan, who joined us last week, he responded tonight. And he references Mark 9, verse 1, where Jesus said that the kingdom wasn't here yet, but it would be in the lifetime of those who were, who were listening to it. Yeah. Uh, John, he says, Jesus was telling Nicodemus about inheriting the kingdom of God. I'm not sure we would say the requirement was yet in effect as far as washing away one's sins, since that required the blood of Jesus. Jesus taught the gospel of the kingdom, but also acknowledged that his kingdom was coming in the future, Mark 9-1, for example. So the kingdom wasn't established yet. Another way to look at it is the way that the Hebrew writer mentioned it in Hebrews chapter chapter 9, says, uh, speaking of Jesus, for this cause he is the mediator, this is... Hebrews 9.15, for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So Jesus' will and testament, if you will, had not gone into force yet while he was on earth. The kingdom wasn't here yet. He was preaching the kingdom, but it hadn't come into effect yet. And so the instruction in John chapter 3, verse 5 is, how do you enter the kingdom? And the thief could not have entered the kingdom yet because the kingdom wasn't established. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. um, Jesus forgave the thief on the cross. In other words, he said, this day it shall not be with Paris. Be with me in paradise. I believe that he was indicating to him eternal spiritual blessing by that expression. Uh, 
you know, some argue maybe the thief had been baptized by John's baptism. I think, it's a moot, I think it's a moot question because yeah. Jesus, because the law wasn't enforced yet. Yeah. And and uh, while Jesus was on earth, he could extend his blessings to anyone yeah. uh, in any way he wanted. And in fact, there are several references where Jesus forgave people's sins. Yeah. For instance, in Mark chapter 2, uh, you might remember uh, Jesus was teaching in Capernaum. There yeah. was a big crowd of people around. Some fellows came carrying a paralytic man right. on a cot. They couldn't get to the house because of the crowd, so they got up on the roof, tore the roof back, and let him down through the roof. Right. Um, Jesus, uh, and Jesus said to them, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Yeah. Well, there he was. There he's forgiven sins too. Yeah. Well, that's, we understand that principle. While a person is alive, they can bestow their goods, their blessings, any way they want. After they're dead, it can only be bestowed yep. on, in, in, according to the terms of their testament. New, numerous instances of that. Jesus forgave the sinful woman in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 48. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Lots of examples where Jesus forgave sins. And if Je- you know this, if Jesus was alive today and we were sitting here together, maybe... He and I could talk it out, and he could say, my sins are forgiven. And you wouldn't have to be baptized. You wouldn't have to be baptized. But he left me instructions on what I need to do when he left this earth, yeah. Mark 16, 15, and 16. And you know what? If I, if I really understand the fact that I'm going to stand before him in judgment someday, I'm going to do what he said. Exactly. All right. Uh, Travis uh, emails in and says, it is important to remember two things. One, that God is merciful, and two, that God knows the hearts of men. The thief on the cross was physically incapable of being baptized through no fault of his own. While there is no scripture that specifically states his manner of salvation is an exception to the rule, it's easy to infer such from the context of not just his story but the entire written word. We know that baptism is commanded. We also know that God is merciful. I, I would I would differ with – I think our explanation is more accurate than what Travis says here. I don't think it was because he was physically incapable of being baptized, although I think that's true. I mean, he was hanging on the cross. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus was still alive. And Jesus could extend that blessing to him directly. He's not here directly now. And so that blessing can only come in accordance with the terms of his testament. All right. And uh, Randy in uh, Swartz Creek, Michigan, uh, signs in tonight. And it's a little better place uh, than last time we heard from Randy. I think things are getting better in Swartz Creek. The, uh, the spring is on its way up there. I think it's probably almost to Swartz Creek by now. Uh, he says uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, had the authority to forgive sins. We read this in Matthew 9, verse 6. And that's the passage you referenced earlier. He said uh, also uh, in Mark 2, verse 10, and Luke 5, 24, record the same messages uh, did Matthew 5, ver- or 9, verse 6. Jesus' uh, Jesus' baptism did not begin until the kingdom of, of God, God's dear son, began in Acts chapter 2. We read this in Acts chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And uh, said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people they should believe on him which should come after him, that is Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he says people weren't being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus yet. Jesus clearly had the authority to forgive people on the cross, as did the other uh, when he was alive on the earth. So that's basically the same yep. answer. Yep. Uh, Thank you, Randy. Uh, Randy's given the same answer we're given. I think that's the right answer. I think that really deals with that question. Uh, and so I hope Mohan is, is understanding that. That point, but that it was making. a well thought out question. I yeah. did appreciate that question, yeah. but I think uh, that that explanation is the one that works. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, let's see, we got a minute. Let's go. Let's go to the, the Mohan's second question. If someone becomes desperate to find someone to baptize them, they may consider paying someone to baptize them. 
would salvation be no longer a gift in that case? Now, I thought this was a little weaker question. I think Mohan probably understands it as well. It's, it's, it's a little bit weaker question, but uh, it uh, really doesn't prove anything. Uh, lots of what-if scenarios you could come up with. I've never heard of it. anybody doing that. Uh, but I, even if they did, I don't think it would change anything. What, if I paid someone to provide a service to me, that doesn't change at all what God is doing to, uh, on my behalf when I submit to the ordinance of baptism. Well, I mean, and, and Mohan does this. You know, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Uh, and uh, we understand that... Um, you can't hear without a preacher. Romans 10 goes on and says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And so blessed are the feet that carry the gospel and so forth. In Romans 10, what are you supposed to do to the preacher? Pay the preacher. You pay the preacher. The, the, now, is Mohan, is, when, if Mohan pays the preacher. And he teaches him. And he teaches him. Has Mohan violated the preacher? Has principle? he earned his salvation? It's yeah. not a gift? I don't, you know, Troy in Hendersonville, Tennessee, made this very point. He says a question in return is if someone becomes desperate to find someone to teach them about God, they may consider paying someone to teach them. Would salvation be no longer a gift in that case? Yeah. That's exactly the point. And so uh, I, I think that's an easy answer. I, if, if I pay someone to provide a necessary service to me, that doesn't change anything about my salvation, about how God relates to me, about what he does for me uh, through the blood of Jesus as I su- submit to the, instru- the command of baptism. Uh, whether or not I paid someone, and I've, I, although that's a that's a pretty extreme hypothetical, I've never heard of that. But even if I did, even if it were so, I I, I don't think that there's yeah. uh, that changes anything about my salvation. And works of obedience are not works of merit, and so we need to make that distinction. Works of obedience don't earn our salvation, but uh, God requires required obedience throughout time. He's required people to be obedient. He requires it today. We've got to do it. James uh, in uh, well, I don't know where James is. He's somewhere in the United States tonight. <laughs> Thank you, James, for signing, uh, for sending your email, email in. He says, I have to pay a water bill each month in order to baptize people. Does that mean salvation isn't a gift? Bibles aren't free the last time I checked, and yet I must hear the word in order to have faith. Romans 10, verse 17. If I want to hear the gospel from a preacher, I might have to send money uh, uh, on transportation, or I might have to spend money on transportation. There's, there's a good example. I got to buy a Bible, or I may have to buy, pay bus fare, uh, uh, or, re- or get a cab, or, or get a cab to go hear the gospel preached. So to go hear the gospel preached, does that mean it's not a gift? Uh, he says, I think one could argue this to the nth degree and never make any progress. The fact is that salvation is a gift, Romans six verse twenty three, but that does not negate requirements to accepting the gift. Thank you for that, James. Appreciate those comments. And Travis says, to me, this is a hypothetical scenario that is so unlikely to occur that asking it is based more on proving a point than seeking an answer. Christ has promised that his church will never be destroyed, Matthew 16, 18. As long as there are Christians in the world, you will never be in a situation where someone refuses to baptize you. Good I, comments. I, Thank you, Travis. I, I think that's true, Travis. I, I think that, that I think Mohan's question there is a, a pretty extreme hypothetical, but, again, I think we can deal with it. All right. Uh, well, it's time for a break. We're making a little bit better progress than I thought. We may get this done tonight. We'll have to see how it goes on the other side. The, the, the chat room is dead as can Come on, be. people, uh, join in. We need to hear from Silent you in the chat room. In there. We want some comments in the chat room over email. The toll-free line is open, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. 
I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only if you have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. I challenge you to join the ranks of those people who live what they teach, who walk their talk. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight taking various listener questions. We still have the question about Song of Solomon and the Lord's Supper to get to. But we're answering questions from Mohan from a couple weeks ago. On you know, Baptism. I thought one other housekeeping item we might mention, Jacob, before we go further into these questions. Uh, some of our listeners may not have uh, heard our uh, program last week in which we talked about the weekend Bible study series with Donnie Rader that yep. we had on division right. in the churches of Christ, uh, a, a look at things that have unfortunately divided churches of Christ. Yep. Churches of Christ are not all united. They, some some of us are divided from others and teach and practice different doctrines, and and those are uh, uh, those are sad realities, but they are realities. And and so Donnie Rader taught four lessons. Uh, a little over a week ago here at College View, yeah. and uh, talked about the the divisive issues, things that have caused division within the churches of Christ. Those lessons are on our website, and if you go if you go to our homepage, collegeview.com, and scroll down, you'll find a link to our special Bible study series, and and you'll be able to go to the page. You can you can uh, look at the video of those lessons, or you can uh, listen to audio in a couple different formats. Very good uh, lessons there, and you'll definitely want to hear those. And you have WMA and MP3 versions on the website. Didn't realize you had the MP3s up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll uh, we'll get those in the pot. The rest of those in the podcast feed tonight. Okay, so uh, be checking out your podcast feed right. uh, for those sermons. You'll want to listen to those. All right. All right, so Mohan's uh, question number number three. three. Now remember, this Mohan 
uh, is the, the independent Baptist that we interviewed two weeks ago, and he wanted us to, to deal. He tried to deal with some questions that we posed to him, and we, uh, we appreciate him doing that. Yeah, and, and he said he had some follow-up questions for us. And to reiterate from that program, I thought the uh, the tone and the demeanor of the program was very beneficial, uh, and uh, Bohan echoed the same sentiments after the program, that he appreciated uh, the way that we conducted the dis- discussion, and that's the way that you should yeah. talk about things that are, are scriptural, uh, things that you differ on. There's no reason to be ugly or to get angry. Uh, because, but it is an important. It is important to discuss our differences because it does matter, and these questions do matter. The answer to these questions, the the position you take on the answer to these questions, have eternal consequences. Exactly right. Okay. All right. Question number three, Mohan sent in: If a minor child wants to be baptized, would you baptize them without the parents' permission? Yes. Uh, we talked about that. Oh, I wasn't answering the question. I was acknowledging. Yeah. We talked. We answered that when we were talking with Mohan, and. Um, we, our answer to that is similar to Mohan's answer when asked if if he would give a child a Bible in defiance of his parents' wishes, and he said he would. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of there, this question is not quite specific enough. You know, uh, how old is the minor child? If we're talking about a three-year-old who wants to be baptized. No, I wouldn't baptize them. Uh, you know, uh, I'd confer with the parents, and we'd work on that, but I would not baptize them, and the parents wouldn't want them, such a child to be baptized. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of specifics here that we don't have ironed out, but what is the age of majority? Well, 18, I think maybe still 21 in some states. I'm not sure, but yeah. at least 18. Uh, m- most states, I think, would have the age of majority at 18. Yeah. So let's talk about a 16-year-old child. Or 16-year-old adolescent, a 16-year-old teenager, and they have learned the truth of God and they want to be baptized, but their parents say, "No, you can't be baptized." Yeah. Well, that's a different situation. Then, what would we do? Well, I would reference Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Jesus says, "Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter-in-law against a daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law." Jesus said, "It's going to happen, even down to the family level." And so, if uh, my, a child wanted to be baptized and his parents refused it, well, I would just say that's a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, um, you know, there there is a principle set forth by the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when they answered the Jewish council. The Jewish council said, stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5, verse 29. Uh, that, that's a principle that I think would have application sure. uh, to a, 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 this 16-year-old child who knows that God's instruction for him or her is to be baptized, but his parents are saying no. Yeah, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yeah. And so I would say yes, I'd baptize that person because I believe they're old enough to make that decision. James has encountered this very self-same. Situation, He says, if the parents said no and the child was accountable to God, I'd leave it to the child to make that decision because every accountable person must consider the cost of discipleship. I know of a situation just like this, and I and the other preacher have left this to the child, he's 17, to decide. If he finally says no to his parents and yes to the Lord, we will baptize him, but he must have the courage to stand against them. Yeah. So it's interesting. And, uh, James has experienced that same scenario. And I think... Mohan probably has encountered similar scenarios with people who 
uh, who he thinks uh, are doing the right thing by just accepting Jesus as their personal Savior, maybe saying a sinner's prayer. I'm sure he's experienced people who did that in opposition to their parents. And so I don't think, again, the question really proves anything. Yeah. Um, Travis, Travis. Yeah, Travis. Travis says, my short answer is yes. The minors obeying the gospel is more important than seeking permission from their parents. The more realistic answer is that I would only do so after fully exhausting sitting down with the parents and explaining everything to them. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. Uh, and I think but again, I think the age of the, of the, of the child in question uh, certainly comes to play there. But if they, are, if they are accountable, I think that's the key. We've talked before on the virtual Bible study about when is the age of accountability. Yeah. Well, whatever that age is, and you know, uh, then if they are an accountable person, then they have to they have to make that decision. I, I'm not going to make it for them. I think I think James's answer is is spot on there. It's not it's not for me to make that decision for them. But if their faith in God and determination to obey His will is strong enough to say I must do that, regardless of what my parents say, then. And that's what that's the answer. Okay. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter two, uh, when he went at twelve years old, when he went to Jerusalem with his parents, and then they and and all their traveling company left and started back to Galilee. Yep. They thought Jesus was in the in the bunch, yep. and and when they found didn't find him, they returned back to Jerusalem, had to do some searching to find him. Yep. And uh, in Luke chapter two verse forty eight, when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou Thus dealt with us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Mm-hmm. You know, that's maybe not a perfect parallel to the question that's being asked, but basically, Mary said, You didn't do what you did is not what we really wanted you to do. And Jesus' response was basically, He, his, his, he was doing the father's will. And he was at that age, even at that age, he saw that it was more important to do the Father's will than his parents' will. Okay. So Jesus will leave us the example: do what God says. If your and now he wasn't violating his parents' instructions here, but if your parents uh, did tell you to do something contrary to God's will, then children need to be obeying the Father. Yeah. Heavenly Father. Okay. All right. So let's let's grab our mid-hour break, Jacob, and then we'll go to this. I think the hardest question Mohan asked is this last one about people coming who've been baptized in some other religious body. And so uh, uh, let me read it. Do you consider people in the Christian church and the international churches of Christ who believe water baptism is a condition for salvation like you do but have slight variations on other things, You can, do you consider them as brethren? If someone were to join your church from those organizations, would they be required to be rebaptized? Why yeah, do I think you've got? I think this is a cut and paste error here. Those, oh, those, that, those last two questions don't, or last question doesn't really. Fit. Oh, 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 that you know uh, that was that was left over from questions yeah. we asked him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a typo. So that's his question. All right, so you're baptized in a denomination that, uh, well, they believe that water. You're being baptized for the remission of sins. Is that person saved, or is he a believer or a Christian at that point? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get them on the other side of this week's bullet point. Don't go anywhere. We're back. Get busy in the chat room. We're off the, the chat. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if these people's parents told them not to chat in the chat room. That could be, <laughs> maybe that's it. Uh, let us know. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. 
These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. We're often asked a question like this. I've heard that you Church of Christ people think that you're the only ones going to heaven. Is that true? We appreciate the opportunity to explain what we believe. Would you please give careful consideration to these simple points from the Bible? First, it is important to realize that God is the judge of eternal things. Our personal opinions do not matter. What you think, what we think, what some religious denomination teaches, none of that matters. In fact, Jesus said that many who think they are saved will be lost in the last day. Read Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, and verses 21 through 23. The scriptures will be the standard of our judgment, John 12, verse 48. Secondly, the New Testament clearly teaches who will be saved. It describes a simple plan of salvation that any accountable person can understand and obey. We must hear the truth, Romans 10, 17, believe the truth, Hebrews 11, verse 6, repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3, confess our faith in Jesus, Romans 10, 10, and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. If we remain faithful, we're promised a reward in heaven, Revelation 2, verse 10. This is not a human dogma or creed. It is the plain and simple teaching of God's word. If a person obeys these commands, they will be saved. If they do not, they will be lost. It's just that simple. The only ones going to heaven are the ones who submit to God's will and obey his commands. Finally, now where does the Church of Christ figure into all of this? Acts 2.47 tells us that those who are saved are added to the church by the Lord. When you do what you must do to be saved, as we just described, then you are automatically added to that church which you read about in the Bible. This is not some man-made denomination. It is the church that belongs to Jesus. It is the church of Christ, Romans 16, verse 16. Therefore, the answer is yes. You must be a member of that church to go to heaven. Do you see it? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And you want to check out that material we talked about uh, coming out of the last break there at uh, thevirtualbiblestudy.com on the homepage where you can find uh, those lessons by Donnie Rader. Check them out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right. So we're dealing with questions from our friend Mohan in Chicago, who's an independent Baptist. And finally, the final question he asked, do you consider people in the Christian church and international church of Christ who believe water baptism is a condition for salvation like you do, but have slight variations on other things, do you consider them as brethren? If so, or excuse me, if someone were to join your church from those organizations, would they be required to be rebaptized? I like I, Okay, good. I think that's a tougher question. I like what I like James's response. James says these situations must be considered on a case by case basis. I once met a man who had been baptized by a preacher uh, for a church of Christ, but he admitted to me that he had never repented. I baptized him a second time because his previous baptism had no repentance, which Peter linked with baptism in Acts 2, verse 38. I would not say wholesale that a person baptized while attending these churches, and he's talking about those denominations that were referenced in Mohan's email, was never saved, but I would recommend caution. At the end of the day, if a person insists their baptism was the answer of their conscience, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and was for the remission of sins, I'm not sure I could insist that they be baptized again. After all, when I baptize a person, it is not the church doing it. In fact, one's salvation has nothing to do with the person doing the baptizing. 
I appreciate James's email. I, I think that's right, and I think that is the right answer. I'd want to do this on a case-by-case. I'm not going to offer a blanket answer as to how to do Some of it would involve the level of understanding that of the person who was baptized. Did they, in fact, know the Scripture truth about baptism? Was that was their understanding that it was for the remission of sins? Was it their understanding that it was to be uh, baptized into the body of Christ. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a level of understanding that's necessary. And if they affirm that they understood the principles of the purpose of baptism, then I'm like, James, I'm not sure I could insist that they be baptized again. But I, but I think it's very important for them to know that in order for baptism to be effectual, it must be engaged with the right understanding and motive of heart. Right. In, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now, and notice, they, their obedience was from the heart. They obeyed doctrine, and it's interesting that in chapter 6 of Romans, the, the doctrine under consideration there is the doctrine of baptism. They obeyed the doctrine from their heart. In other words, they understood what they were doing, and right. their obedience was from the heart. You can't obey from the heart what you don't understand in your right. heart. Right. So, um, in in every case, the question is: Do these did these people when they were baptized? Did they really comprehend the truth about baptism, what it's for, what it does, and were they were they engaging in that act for those reasons? Same question we'd ask the folks who obeyed on the day of Pentecost. Why were they being baptized? What did they understand about it at that point? Did they understand the doctrinal teachings that would separate us from the International Church of Christ or the Christian Church? Uh, For instance, what about instrumental music? Did they understand that God wanted them to sing on the day of Pentecost? I think you could probably make the argument they didn't understand that. Um, And so someone being baptized in the Christian Church who didn't understand that at that point, I don't think that would make their baptism invalid. But we do have a scriptural precedent for people being baptized again when it was discovered that their understanding was insufficient. In in, uh, Acts chapter 19, uh, uh, Paul met some men in Ephesus, and he said, Acts 19, verse 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's a case where Paul was able to discern, based on some questions he asked, these people had been baptized. It was the same mode. It was the same physical act. But Paul was able to discern pretty quickly that they didn't know what they were doing in regards to responding to Christ and his teaching. And so they were baptized again. Okay. Um, you know, I, I I think probably a consideration here that I would want to throw in, Jacob, is why would we take a chance? You know, if 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 I have any question as to whether my baptism was all that it ought to have been, it's a really easy thing to be baptized again <clears throat> and be certain that I have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Right. So I, I would argue in favor of, and I think James mentioned that in his email, uh, an abundance of caution. Yes. All right. Uh, and Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, references several passages teach us that we should be unified, and uh, that uh, he references uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 
1 first, first Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And uh, Randy's admonition is a good one there, that we need to be unified, and we can be unified if we will accept the teachings of the Scripture and uh, go by them and them alone. And so Mohan's uh, questions were very good. And we appreciated those questions. We appreciated the discussion. I think we, I think we answered them uh, sufficiently. I think we showed from the scriptures uh, the answers that we would give to those questions. Mohan, if you are listening or if you hear this later on and uh, have some rebuttal to those, we'd like to hear that as well. And if you have questions, uh, anyone has questions about what we believe on this subject or any, we would rec- we would request you to send those in and let us uh, hear your questions. Yeah, and respond to them. We're always asking for questions. Sometimes a question constitutes enough of a subject for a whole hour's worth of, of uh, discussion on the virtual Bible study. Other times we do like we're doing tonight, and we take several questions and throw them all together into a smorgasbord, and that's what we're doing tonight. So we got Mohan's four questions dealt with, and we're going to move on now. Yep, the, we've done four questions. We've got <coughs> two more to go, and the first one is... From well, Bob. A unique question from I've, Bob. I've never heard this. I've never heard this question, not just on the virtual Bible study, but in my life. Never, ever. Heard, never, ever heard never this. Never, ever. Okay. It's interesting. I thought, I, I'm intrigued by it. All right. Here's the Listen question. Listen up, Dan. You've never heard this question before. <laughs> okay. He says, why is Song of Solomon appreciated and studied as an explanation of love when, A, Solomon obviously had a problem with his own self-discipline in this area to the extent that it led to this and other sins of his and the nation in general. And B, all the lovable attributes attributed to the woman or his attraction to her are only physical, sensual. To me, that's not a complete model for the love God wants a man to have for his wife, certainly not at Proverbs 31 level. Maybe Song of Solomon is not the best model for a study of love. In fact, it may be more applicable to some of the expectations and problems of marriages today. It's an interesting question. I like Randy's response. He says uh, the Holy Spirit inspired King Solomon to write it. Therefore, it's an inspired book of the Bible. And I think we could infer from that that it would be worthwhile to appreciate that and to study it. Now, Solomon had imperfections in his life in the area of uh, of relationships with well, women. Yeah. But I wouldn't negate the things that he wrote about this. I think that's the key. Every writer of the Bible was a flawed human being. Peter had problems yeah. with uh, accepting Gentiles at yeah. times. Does that mean I throw away what he said about accepting or, Gentiles in, that, in, in the book of Acts? When yeah, he, yeah. yeah. It, it, exactly right. I was, thinking, I was thinking exactly that along those lines, Jay. Here's First Peter 3. Verse 10, 1 Peter 3, verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that he speak no guile, and let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Uh, how, in the, how can Peter say that when he says, refrain his tongue from evil? He cursed when he denied Jesus. Yeah. How can he uh, keep his lips from speaking guile? He lied and said, I know not that man. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So how in the world can Peter be instructing us Why? when he was so flawed himself right. in regards to that? Right. Well, because he's a forgiven man and he's an inspired man, and, right. and so he can. Yeah. And so, But we could say that of every person who, who contributed to the inspired word of God. They were flawed individuals. And so... 
I don't think we can throw out what Solomon said in the Song of Solomon simply on the basis of the fact that it was written by a man who himself had some problems with women, yep. uh, who who was, uh, uh, what do you have, 300 wives and 700 That's concubines. a problem in and of itself. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and his wives did turn his heart from yes, God. Yes, they did. Uh, and so all of that is true, but that still wouldn't negate the fact that he could write inspired wisdom from God. It's interesting that in Bob's question, he references Proverbs 31. That's Solomon too. <laughs> That's Solomon too. And I didn't. It, I did, that didn't dawn on me. You're and, all right. And so there, Solomon is giving a, a picture of a of a godly woman yeah. and and what her attributes would be. Yeah. Uh, I think that the Song of Solomon is an essay on the uh, joy of marital love, including right. the intimate sexual relationship in marriage, right. and uh, th- that is a blessing from God, and it's a, I think it's appropriate that we have a section of the scripture that describes that and, uh, you know, helps us to appreciate uh, the beauty of intimacy that God has given in the marriage relationship. Proverbs 31, I don't think, was Solomon. Was it King Luke? King, King? Yeah, yeah, that's another name for Solomon. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, is. Yeah. Well, I learned something just now. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, do you? Uh, what about this? It, it, it's, it's not the complete model of love. Does it have to be? I don't think it is necessarily the complete model of love. I think it's talking. I think it is talking about sensual, yeah. intimate relationships in marriage. And I don't think anybody who who studies the Bible argues that marriage is wholly about the sexual relationship it's certainly not there's far more to marriage than that okay uh but that is a part of god's design and marriage and you know for instance passages like first corinthians chapter seven suggest that that's part of what god planned marriage for right right. um first corinthians seven verse two nevertheless to avoid fornication let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband that's part of what god designed marriage for is to fulfill those needs that he has designed into us, yeah. and so I, I I I would argue that it is a pro, it is appropriate. Now, I you know I've never taught the the Song of Solomon in a Bible class. Uh, I think that's more a book for private study and consideration right. uh, because it is it, it it is very explicit in some some sections about that intimacy uh, mm-hmm. between. A man and a woman. Do you think there are parallels in that book to God's relationship with Israel? Do you think that, that I've heard that? I've heard about. I've I've heard the argument that it's a it's a symbolic reference to Christ and the church. Right. I don't buy that. You don't buy that. <laughs> Too descriptive, huh? Yeah. I don't right. buy that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Philip in the chat room said, "Good question on the Song of Solomon. Great answer. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, using the physical to teach the spiritual." So, thank you for that, Philip. All right. Good. Uh, any other responses that you want to send uh, in? I don't think we've got any more. Yeah. So I, I think that I hope that's the answer. I, again, I, it, it is a very uh, unique book in the Bible, and its theme is very specific. I think it's very narrow in in the, what it's trying to convey. But I think there's a value to it. But again, especially to Bob's question, and I think it's a very interesting question. I'm intrigued by it. But I don't think that the uh, that that was ever intended to be the complete model 
for the love that God wants a man to have for his wife. Right. I don't I don't think it was intended to be that. Nor would First Corinthians thirteen be the complete model, if you think about it, because it it leaves out the the physical yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. So you have to take all of what the scriptures teach. Uh, let's, gra- let's grab our last break, and, Jacob. And all of our listeners, all of our correspondents have observed the Passover on number three. And okay. so we need our listeners to join in. Okay. The, the, real quickly, before we go to the break, here's what we're going to talk about in our last section. Uh, Acts 20, verse 17. Uh, Acts 20, verse 7. This is from KB, where it talks about upon the first day of the week that when the disciples came together to break bread. How does this scripture verify that the breaking of bread in this passage was the Lord's Supper and not eating a meal? So that's what we'll talk about when we get back. All right. What about Acts 20, verse 7? How do we know that is the Lord's Supper? We do use that for a lot of our justification and a lot of our authority for taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. How do we know that is the Lord's Supper in question there? How do we know the language break bread means the Lord's Supper in Acts 20, verse 7? Send in an answer in the chat room. Make it quick. and Just don't have to send a lot of answers. Just a little bit. Let us know your thoughts. Take a break. Go to the top of the hour right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Four five six seven. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Data from the IRS's 2011 Statistics of Income file on individuals shows that those at either the high end or low end of the income distribution chart tend to give a higher percentage of their income as contributions than those in the middle. Those with income between 100000 and 200000 contribute on average 2.6% of their income, which is lower compared to those with either low income, less than 100000 which give 3.6%, or those above 200000 which give 3.1% of their income. That information is via the National Center for Charitable Statistics. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour with one more question. This is from KB, and it's an interesting question. I think yeah. we may have touched on it in the past on the program, but it's worth repeating. All right, so let's get the full question. He says, my question about the Lord's Supper is this. In Acts 20, verse 7, quote, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, quote, how does this scripture verify that the breaking of bread in the passage was the Lord's Supper and not eating a meal? Do all other scripture dealing with the Lord's Supper include what it represents? Bread is body, cup is blood. Acts 20, verse 7 does not describe bread is the body and cup is the blood. 
The Church of Christ uses first to verify why the Lord's Supper is on Sunday. So that's his question. All right. Is KB a he or KB a she? KB is a he. KB is the fella who back several months ago we talked about a bebop basing. Oh, that's KB. This is KB. This yeah. is the same oh, KB yeah. that we. Good, good to hear from That you, was KB. an interesting question. If you haven't, yeah. if you're not studied, what was that? What was that? Uh, I forget what we called that. Called. We'll have to find. But it out. was it, it, maybe it was just included in uh, one of those listener question. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll find it. Uh, but anyway, and, uh, uh, this is KB. Okay, let's go to Acts twenty. Uh, yeah, it was uh, February four, uh, February 12th of this year. February 12th, okay. Intriguing listener questions. You want to listen to that one? It's from, yeah, KB had the question, a good question. Then he's got a good question tonight. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, Paul is uh, on his journey uh, back to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey, and he's he comes by Troas. It says, we sailed away from Philippi after this is Acts 20, verse 6, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. Mm-hmm. All right, actually, it's interesting. There's two breakings of bread here. Okay. There's the break. They came together to break bread, verse 7. Mm-hmm. But then, after midnight, and after Eutychus had fallen out of the window... Then it talks about Paul breaking bread and eating and talking until he left them uh, the next day. I think there's two different breakings of bread there. I think the first is their purpose for coming together. They came together to break bread. Now, understand that this expression, breaking bread, can mean either just a common meal or that expression is used uh, uniquely uh, in regards to taking the Lord's Supper. All the way back in Acts chapter 2, just after the church began, Acts 2, verse 42 says, The disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, that's that's talking about their spiritual activity. There is spiritual activity there. But in that same context, uh, skip down to verse 46, it says, They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So there, in Acts 2, I think we see that expression used two ways. One in the spiritual sense of the Lord's Supper, another in the sense of eating a common meal. Yeah. So KB's question is, how do we know here at Troas in Acts chapter 20 that the breaking of they came together to break bread, how do we know that's the Lord's Supper? I think the answer to that is that that was the purpose for their coming together. Paul Paul describes that sort of thing in 1 Corinthians 11. Mm-hmm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, when you come together, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. His point was it should have been, but they were, they were violating mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper. He says, in other words, you should have come together to take the Lord's Supper. 
But instead, he says, verse 21, in eating, everyone taketh before another's own supper. One is hungry, another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So Paul is condemning the church at Corinth because what did they do? They came together and were eating a common meal. Yeah, there you go. See? When they are coming together should have been to eat the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Now, what did they do in Acts 20? Back verse it out. Yeah, back that truth back out into Acts 20, verse 7. They came together to break bread. Now, Paul was participating with Paul them. was participating. So if that was a common meal, then he's violating his own principle. Right. It couldn't be so. That would be an inconsistency in the Scripture, in the inspired word. So this breaking of bread has to be the Lord's Supper, not a common meal. Now, later, after the after the meeting had effectively uh, um adjourned when the man fell out of the window, uh, then they did eat some food together uh, before Paul left, you know, the next day. But this coming together in the assembly of the saints on the first day of the week was for the for the Lord's Supper. And it appears that this is what they were doing only on the first day of the week. Notice when they got to town, they stayed seven days in order to, to be the there. Sunday when they would be yeah. breaking bread. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. All right, well... That's uh, think, maybe I, an answer to KB's question. I think that, that that has to be the right answer because because if it wasn't, then we have Paul doing what he condemned the Corinthians for doing. We'd have him hip- hypocritically condemning people for doing the very thing he'd been doing. Yeah, and he he didn't do that by inspiration. Okay. Well, if you got any thoughts, we have a few minutes. And actually, you know, I didn't think we could do this, but we've actually gotten through all the questions, and uh, we've got time to spare. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That is unusual. Yeah. All right. So we're looking for questions to add to our stack of stuff. Uh, we've got a, a couple of things still lingering in our stack, but we've worked it down pretty well over the last uh, couple of months. Yeah, we've been and, hitting these questions hard. And so, uh, so you know, you've cleared if, out the stack for the, your questions. Yeah. So if you've got questions that you <laughs> want to hear dealt with, uh, send them to us, questions at collegeview.com. And uh, we'll be try- we'll be glad to try to get that on right. here. Now, maybe you don't have a question, but maybe you see something in the news, or you hear of someone who has a position that would be interesting to discuss, and maybe we could interview that person. Send us a link to that news story. Send us a link to a website of maybe someone you found teaching something you find interesting that would be interesting to discuss. We're we're always looking for those type of uh, programs as well. And we can, uh, if you'll send us those those contacts, we can contact folks and ask them if they'd be willing to join us for a discussion on the program. I want to, uh, since we've got a minute, let, let me give a little tease for our yep. interview. We did that with, with this here. I was researching <laughs> something uh, uh, the other day and came across this gentleman's website where he discussed how to conduct an emergency baptism. I'd never heard of an emergency baptism before, but I think I thought I knew where he was getting at. And he talked about if you needed to baptize someone who's about to die, how would you do that? Apparently, he's got a lot of ridicule about that, uh, about his uh, his teachings on that, uh, where we would agree with him that it, it is necessary. Uh, you know, if someone's about to die and they haven't obeyed, uh, I'm not seeing the them. link to his website. Uh, I don't know what I did, but you, you you'd want to you know you'd want to baptize them in a hurry. So we would agree with him on that. But we disagree with him on some of the conclusions he made about how to do that. And um, okay, here here's the website. Uh, the, the man's name is Ken Collins, mm-hmm. and his website is kencollins.com. K-E-N-C-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. And on there, 
he has an article, How to Baptize Someone in an Emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the, here's the uh, scenario he, he describes. The candidate urgently requests baptism. Despite having received the best available medical attention, the candidate is reasonably worried that they might die. You have tried and failed to contact a member of the clergy or a member of clergy cannot arrive in time. What do you do? Uh, and so he talks about an emergency baptism. What do and, you do? And so uh, I think we're going to get into, uh, uh, in our discussion with Ken, we're going to get into several things that we probably have some difference about in regards to baptism, the mode of baptism, the purpose of baptism, and, and so forth. And But but it should be interesting. Uh, so that's two weeks. Two weeks May, from today. May 14th. May 14th. We're going to make sure you're here for that. Uh, have you ever conducted an emergency baptism? Um, I, I, you know, I would say all baptisms are that's emergency. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> They're all an emergency because we're we're or, dead in sins yeah, and we need yeah, saved. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, one time, maybe the closest uh, that I came to that was a fellow who had terminal cancer, and it took two of us to get him into the baptistry and to actually physically baptize him. Uh, make sure that he could do because he was very physically weak but we were able to immerse him uh and in, in that case that fellow was able to attend worship services one time the next mm-hmm. sunday after that he went to the hospital and never left the hospital again mm-hmm. he, he died and so that was pretty emergency i mean yeah. it was almost yeah. like last chance yeah okay all right. Well, we'll cut it a little bit uh, short. Well, we're we're going to adjourn the class early tonight. Adjourning. We're giving you. A, we're giving you a break for coming to class prepared tonight and uh, partic- Well, I don't know. We can't even do that. They didn't participate all that much. It was pretty silent in the chat room. Uh, but uh, we're glad that you were here, anyways. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Dan, for taking time uh, to be here tonight. Thank you for your time, Dan. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, we hope you may uh, benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word tonight. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study his inspired word in the Bible and live by it every day, you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.